Welcome to Ladies Who Love Christ, where we love to encourage you to build intimacy with Christ. We'll bring you insights and teachings to help you grow in your walk with Jesus, ultimately becoming the strong, godly woman you were created to be. Here's Ashley Pope Todorova. Hello, ladies, and welcome to session two, chapter two of our Philippians Bible study. This is our 52nd Bible study here at Ladies Who Love Christ, and we're grateful, so grateful that you're here with us this evening. Tonight, we're going to be picking up in Philippians 2. Last week, we picked up Philippians 1. If you missed that, find us on YouTube or our podcast, Ladies Who Love Christ Ministries. But if you're diving in with us tonight or you're listening to the replay, we are in Philippians um, chapter two, and we're going to go ahead and start out um, by reading the first two verses. So I'm going to go ahead and read those with you. I hope you're in at that point in, in the word. Um, we're not working from a book. So if not, take your time. It's a no stress zone here. So Christ's example of humility, Paul says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, verse two, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So what we're going to do is unpack those first two verses. We're going verse by verse through this study, one chapter a week, verse by verse. Paul was using this conditional sentence. It says, so if there is any encouragement, he was using the conditional sentence if to provoke ladies, the Philippians, to think on whether these qualities are evident in their lives. As Paul is, is encouraging the Philippians from prison, as he's encouraging them and thanking them and praying for them and going through all of these things with the Philippians, he is calling them to look at these, these qualities and to see, are these being, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are these things being exemplified? Are they being um, shown through in my life? He was calling them, essentially, in these two verses, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and any affection and sympathy, okay, and, and, and my joy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, he was calling them to take a self-assessment. Where are you in your walk? Where are you in exemplifying and, and shining through? We're going to talk about what it means to shine our lights tonight as Christ in a very dark world that needs us to shine our lights. What does that look like? What does scripture tell us about it? But more importantly, in these two verses, he's literally calling them to take a self-assessment. As Paul talks to the Philippians and encourages them to do these things, again, if you're just popping in, I have to be sensitive to that. We always study in time, culture, context here at Ladies Who Love Christ, time, culture, context, and then we bring it forward and say, okay, what is this telling me? What is this passage telling me? It is Paul talking to the Philippians, but ladies, it's a call for us as we read these verses together, as we study Christ's humility. It's a call for us to look at these things and say, are we, are we displaying these things in our lives? Very, very, very important. The Philippians, the Philippians must make sure that they progress in the critical area of love for one another. 
Okay. It is a, he's calling them to, he, he, he's calling them to exemplify or to, to show this, this, this radical love, which you're going to see in the next few verses is absolutely shown through in the love of Christ and the life of Christ and how Christ lived his life and the example that Christ modeled for us. So it's an absolutely critical area. And Paul is really wanting to make sure that they are of the same mind. Now, this is really important. I hope you're taking furious notes tonight because this is a teaching that's rich and packed with notes. You gotta take notes, there's no book, okay? Paul is not telling them to, to be um, uh, uniform in, in like this universal type of mindset, okay? He's saying, use your diverse gifts in the body of Christ. We all have diverse gifts, right? Use these diverse gifts in a cooperative spirit that focuses, listen, that focuses on the glory of God and does not focus on self. That's what Paul essentially was telling them. He's not saying walk the same way, talk the same way, do the same things, He's not saying one mind in that sense. He's saying a cooperative spirit, a cooperative spirit in the body of Christ. It's extremely, extremely important. As he talked to the Philippians, he too, I mean, we too, I should say, can garner and can glean things from these passages. Now, if you skip down to verse three and four, okay, listen to this. We're going to literally go verse by verse tonight. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So now he's saying, look at these qualities, see if they're evident in your life. But then he gives them a call of what to do and what not to do. He clearly says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also, but, that's always a call to like pay attention, but also to the interest of others. But also to the interest of others. Now, as we talk about this and unpack this, I want you gals to mark Philippians 2 so you don't lose it. And I want you to turn to Galatians 5, Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 through 26. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into what this looks like. When Paul was urging them not to be of selfish ambition or conceit and to regard others above themselves, to put others' interests above themselves, he knew, he knew that this was completely opposite <laughs> of what people tend to do. Our flesh nature wants to put ourselves first. Our flesh nature wants to look at, but what's happening in my life? What's happening in my home? What's on my radar? And be more focused on that than the interest of others. There's always a temptation, ladies, to be like Paul's opponents that we talked about last week in Philippians 1 verse 17. There's always a temptation to be like them and to operate out of selfish ambition. 
out of selfish fleshly nature. And Paul's saying, no, don't do that. He's saying, not only do you not do that, but you take up this example, this example of humility that was literally exemplified in the life of Jesus Christ, right? So let's turn to Galatians 5, 22 through 26. Hopefully you're there. If not, don't worry. I'm going to read it to you. But the fruit of the spirit Okay, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. When it says against such things, there's no law in these fruits of the spirit, it means there is there is no law against them. You can you can exemplify these and shine these through your life in abundance. There, there's there complete and utter abundance. There's no law against these things. These are the things of Christ. These are the things that model what Christ modeled for us. Against such things, there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, listen to this, those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's who Paul was talking to when he was talking to the Philippians, have crucified the flesh, crucified the flesh with its passions, and its desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we say we live by the Spirit, you say you live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let us also uh, not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So it goes into all of these rich fruits. There's a, there's a, I, as I share, and I have shared in past studies with the girls, there is a fruit to a life that seeks to model humility and to model, truly model, not just for social media model, not just the reels and the stories and all the things, not just the filters and trying to make your life look away, but a person who truly seeks to model and exemplify what Christ did for us through their lives. Turn it back to Philippians chapter two, Philippians chapter two. So in this, in this verse, verse three and four, Paul knew that there was always this temptation to operate out of a selfish ambition, an ambition that is not Christ focused. Listen to me now, because this isn't in my notes. It is not Christ focused, but it is, it is self focused. And, and any time your eyes are on yourself, any time you become um, focused on self and that selfish nature starts to take root in your life and in your decisions and the actions that you model, that is a rotten fruit. See, fruit can spoil. I like luscious, juicy fruit, right? That's Galatians 5, 22 through 26. That's the good fruit, but fruit can spoil. And when we're focused on ourselves and what's happening in our lives, I'm just bringing it to 2023 a little bit for my girls tonight. Here's how we counter such conceit. This is how you counter being selfish. This is how you display what Paul is calling the Philippians to display in their lives by counting others as more significant than yourselves. By counting others as more significant than yourselves. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, our, our Messiah, our anointed one, his life 
death and resurrection, counted others as more important. That he came and he made a way and he bridged the gap. He literally made a way where the, there was no other way for us. We were dead and lost in our trespasses. Paul realizes this is a next point. We're still on verse three and four. So hang with me if you're lost. Philippians verse three and four. Paul realizes that everyone naturally looks to their own interests. The key is to keep that same level of concern and apply it to others. And apply it to others. Let me just add a little caveat to that because it's not in my notes. This is a life that is willing to be shook up. This is a life that is willing to say, I may have my plans, I may have my schedule, I may have my routine, I may, I may have everything lined up the way that I want it lined up, but it's a life that's willing to lay that down and say, you know what, Lord, have your way with me today. It's a life that is willing to allow your plans to be shaken up for God's will for your life. One of the things that I pray in my own life, write it down, write it down. One of the things that I pray for in my own life daily, it is a daily prayer, is Lord, I want to be in perfect step with your will because I can pray for all of the things. We're bringing it to 2023 and we're parked on the side of the road for one second. I can pray for all of the things. I can pray for what I think I want, for what I think is best for my life. I can pray for the way I think I want things to turn out. But sweet girls, when you pray for God's will for your life, you are never in a more perfect place. Write it. I'm never in a more perfect place than when I am in step with God's will. Pray for God's will and not your way. Our selfishness wants to pray for our way. The selfish nature in us, our flesh wants to pray for our way. Pray for God's will because you're never in a more perfect place. So ladies, as Paul was urging the Philippians, literally urging them to show this type of, of, of sacrificial love that Christ modeled for us, this radical love is so rare it is so rare. Not only was it so very foreign to, to people during this time, remember time, culture, context, what were the norms? What were the customs? What was it like then? What was normal and what wasn't normal? We always try to read with this 2023 brain and think that things were like that back then. You need to put in the time and the effort to study God's word. So Paul knew that this, this radical love was not a love that they were used to seeing. So he goes on to show the reality of this love, of this love, the perfect example, the flawless example, the blemish-free example of this type of radical love through the life of Christ. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 7. Write it down in your notes, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. You should have the verse and a few bullets under each one. Maybe you don't like taking notes, but guess what, sweet ladies? When you take notes, you read, you retain, you learn later. That's how we do our studies here. It can be scribble. I don't care. That is fine. But you have something to go back to, to study, to remember, and to read. 
verses two verses, uh, I'm sorry, chapter two, verses five through seven. I'm going to read it to you. Christ's example of humble service, his example of humility. Verse five, have the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That's verse seven, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. We're going to stop right there for a minute. This is an otherwise known Christ example of humility as the hymn of Christ. The hymn of Christ. You can write that down. Okay. And I also want you to write this down. If you're new, I know we have so many new gals on this Bible study. Honestly, there's more, more people that I don't think I've met or know on this study than any other one we've done. So you may have heard this. Hang with me. If you haven't, I want you to write it down. Everything in the word of God, Old Testament to new, you're going to have this memorized. Everything in the word of God, Old Testament to new points to Jesus, points to Jesus. Don't allow anyone to tell you that you can discount God's word, that you can detach the Old Testament from the new. The Old Testament points to what, what God did through Jesus Christ for us in the New Testament, the complete picture. It points to Jesus as the fulfillment, the promised Messiah, and also as an example to us of how we are to live our lives while we wait for eternity. Everything that we need. Everything. Paul depicts Christ's example of service in these passages that traces several things. So he gives Christ's example of service in these passages, and it traces several things. And I want you to write them. Number one, please write these down. Number one. Jesus's pre-existence, his divine nature. This means that before he became a man and walked the earth, ladies, he was already in existence as the second person of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of people, because I say this gently and I say this with love, but they are in churches that are not truly truly preaching the entirety of God's word. They're in churches that cherry pick God's word, that water God's word down. And people don't know these things. They sit in church and, and you want to ask, hey, what's the gospel? And people can't tell you. They don't know because they're not learning from leadership. Not every church, but trust me, there's a good amount of them today. Christ's preexistence. This means before he was a man and walked the earth, he already was. His divine, his divinity, his divine nature. Jot down John 17, 5. John 17, 5. I'm going to give you some supporting scriptures that in your study this week, as you dig in again, I want you to write, read these and write them. Write them on cards, write them on post-its, make them a study of them. John chapter three, verse 13. And thank you, Heather, for jotting these out. If you see Heather's notes, she's amazing. John three thirteen. 
John 6, 33, John 16, 28. Jesus was already in existence. Already. It also points to in these passages, as Paul's breaking it down for them, his incarnation, that he took on human flesh. That's why I say he, he made a way for us where there was quite literally no other way. It means the act of being made flesh. I want you to turn to John chapter one. I don't even think I marked it out, but that is okay. I want you to turn to John chapter one, verse 14, and we're gonna read it together, girls. And the word became flesh, the word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace. That means favor in the Greek charis, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. So it points to Jesus's, write it, if you didn't, pre-existence, incarnation, okay, taking on human flesh. The third thing in these passages that Paul's talking to the Philippians about and he's showing through the life of Christ and the humility in the life of Christ that was displayed is his death, Christ's death. The sacrificial death opened the path to salvation to everyone who trusts in Jesus in this world that says there are multiple ways to heaven. In this world that will lie to you, I'm parking it, that will lie to you and say you can get to heaven by being a good person. If you love people, maybe you're wealthy and you donate all the time, check, 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 check. You're a good person. You're getting to heaven. No, it is so, so, so clear in God's word. And as Paul was talking to the Philippians, he was telling them, you've obeyed me in the past. Obey me now. Don't look to your past glories. Don't look to your past, but continue on, continue on this life of humble service and model and exemplify what Jesus did for you. The sacrificial death opened the path to eternal life, to salvation only through the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, calling on the name of Jesus Christ. There is but one way, scripture tells us. And I know you guys know this, most of you. But when I teach, I can't assume that all of you know this. There may be one person on the other side of that screen that does not know this. There is but one way to the Father, and that is through the Son. And his name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. He became the perfect sacrifice. And you know what else scripture tells us? Do you know what else scripture tells us about Jesus literally being in existence before time, coming and taking on human flesh and, and setting his face like flint to that cross at Calvary? Turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Turn to Mark 8. We're flipping tonight. Flip. I should hear pages. Not really, because your phones and devices are on mute, but Mark 8, verse 31. And it says, 
And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said it, he said it plain, plainly. Jesus went knowingly. He went to the cross for your sins and my sins. He went to make a way for us truly where there was no, no other way. But so many people by the lie that he just, that it just happened to him. He went knowingly. Very important that you understand these truths. So Paul was telling them this. And then the fourth thing is his resurrection, his preexistence, his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, the most important event in history. Literally. It provided ladies irrefutable evidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Irrefutable evidence. They couldn't deny that. He was there and then he wasn't. There was no denying that. The son of God. And then after his resurrection, what does what scripture tell us? It tells us about, and Paul covers this, his ascension. To go and to sit at the right hand of God. Literally, let's turn out to Philippians 2 now. I read all the way through seven or eight, eight, turn to Philippians two, chapter nine. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter two, verse nine, turn there. The name above all names, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Ladies, why is that so important? Why is that so valid and so vital? I should say not valid, but vital. Why is that so vital? This is validation of his deity. This is validation of Jesus Christ's deity. It validated the scriptures, which foretold his coming and his resurrection. The scriptures all, like that's why I told you, Old Testament to New, Genesis to Revelation, every word of scripture points to the Messiah. It's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It also authenticated Christ's claims that he would be raised on the third day. I want you to write these verses down. John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. These are study passages for you because there are multiple places in scripture where you can flip Old Testament to New. You can flip between the Gospels. You can flip and you will see so many scriptures that back all of this up, Mark 8, 31, Mark 9, 31, Mark 10, 34. Let's unpack specifically now. I'm doing really, really good on time, actually. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 9. We're going to unpack it a little bit more. It was Jesus's humiliation, ladies, that became the grounds for his exaltation. 
It was what looked like foolishness to people as Christ hung on the cross. And, and ladies, it's so important that you understand this because the, the artists that depict Christ on the cross make it so flawless. No blood, maybe a little bit of blood. It was a brutal, horrifying viewed as at, the, at that time culturally a very shame-filled death it was brutality and in mark 8 31 he chose he he knew that he chose that he went he set his face like flint he obeyed the father jesus's humiliation became the very grounds for his exaltation by humbling himself, write it down, by humbling, circle humbling, by humbling himself on the cross out of love, that's radical love. That's not this twisted, distorted love that they speak about today in our world with the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of voices that speak into our lives. He demonstrated that he truly shared the divine nature of God who is love. Now listen closely. And I say this, I know sometimes I look a little stern, but listen closely. One of the things that people love to tout and talk about with no real depth behind their words is God is love. God is love. God is love. They use God is love to justify sin. They use God is love to justify walking in, in sin, in, a, in, in agreement with things that are against God. They use God as love to justify these evil, sinful lives. You see this constantly now. You're seeing it literally shoved down our throats and in front of us constantly, is that we have to stand in agreement with sin to be loving people and God is love. These verses share that Jesus shared the divine nature of God who is love. But what people fail to talk about, what people miss consistently, is his justice and his holiness and his righteousness. Is he a God of love? Was when Paul was urging the Philippians to show this type of radical love in their lives. Is he a God of love? Yes, he's a God of love, but he's also a God of holiness and righteousness and justice that says you must repent and turn from your sins because to walk like, walk like me, to model the life that I lived, to model this type of humility It is self-denial. And there's one way to the Father, and that is through the Son. There's one way. So he was displaying his divine nature. Now listen to this. I want you to turn to 1 John 4, 8. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. For all of those that love to use God as love, to justify sin in this world. Okay, remember this. First John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. But ladies, attached to that is what Paul was urging the Philippians to. That attached to this love is a life that denies self. 
It is a life that chases after Christ. It is a life that models and emulates Christ. It is a life, come on now, if you're distracted, listen. It is a life that says, I love the things that God loves and I hate the things that God hates. We turn from sin. We hate that sinful nature and we pursue holiness and righteousness. We don't manipulate and distort that precious gift of Jesus Christ hanging on that cross at Calvary for us, his life, his death, and his resurrection. We don't pervert that and we don't distort that to justify our sin. That's what you see all over this world today. It's always been all the generations. We span the generations here. We have so many age groups. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a year. Some of you have been walking with him for 40, 50 plus years. But see, we see it all the time now. I said to my husband today, listen, parking it, taking a second. I said to Alex today, I said, you know what, babe? You know what I just thought about when I was getting ready? I said, back in the day, we had TV pumping all of this nonsense into our minds. But when we left the house, we left the house. We didn't take the TV with us. But you know what? Now we're taking the TV with us. Now we're taking the devices and the iPads and the phones and all of the things that are distracting us from our relationship with Christ. And some of you, I'm gonna just, I'm going there. I'm going there and if you feel any conviction, I promise it's not from me. Some of you are taking what people want to teach you behind the screen that you don't know. You really don't know their theology. You're not testing it against God's word and you're not plugging in with a body of believers. We cannot in our lives model and exemplify Christ's humility by doing that. You must test and approve every word that is spoken into your life. I encourage you, test and approve every word I'm teaching you tonight, and you do that against scripture. You don't do that just because somebody has thousands upon thousands of followers. Oh, and they really look like they know what they're talking about. So I'm going to let any Joe Schmo speak, speak into my life because people are being led astray right now. That's why I sit here and I do these studies literally. We've done them averaging every, every one and a half months for seven years straight. We do these studies. That is why. Because people are being led astray. People are being misled. For this reason, therefore, God raised him to life and highly exalted him, entrusting him, Jesus, with the rule of the universe and giving him the name that is above every name. Write it down. Yahweh. Y A W. I mean, I'm sorry, Y-A-H-W-E-H, -H, Lord. In Philippians 2.9, Paul was saying that Jesus was given a status and an authority that had not been his before. He was, he, he, he was his free existence. He was divine since the beginning. He was there since the beginning. But God gave him a status and an authority. Let's turn to Matthew 28, 18. I'm doing so good on time. We are going to flip tonight. Turn to Matthew 28, 18. Because I don't want you to believe anything I sit here and tell you. I want you to go to God's word. Like I just literally 
drove home. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is the great commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, he has been given all authority. Write down Acts 2.33. Jesus has been being given this name is a sign that he exercises his messianic authority in the name of Yahweh, which is Lord. Right, Yahweh, Lord. There's so many places in the Old Testament, gals. You still have people living with their eyes blinded. So many places in the Old Testament that depict the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The name above all names. Let's turn to Isaiah 45, chapter, I'm uh, sorry, chapter 45, verse 23. I'm doing that a lot tonight. Isaiah 45, 23. By myself, I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Old Testament, Isaiah. Okay, I want you to write this next point down. As Paul was approaching them and sharing this, this detailed, if you dissect scripture, that's why we go verse by verse. If you dissect scripture, everything I'm gleaning here is literally from the pages of scripture. God's goal is a world without idols. Write it down. God's goal is a world without idols. In the end, he's going to either be the savior or the judge. He's your savior or your judge. Are you accepting him and truly calling on his name? Are you truly living a life that points to Christ? Or are you just saying these things for your social media? Because I'm talking to that era. Paul cited verse 23 from the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew translation into the Greek language, the Hebrew Bible into the Greek language. Romans 14, 11, God alone is the final judge. Turn to Romans 14, 11. Let's read it together. Romans 14, 11. Write it down, turn to it. Okay, so you want repetition? Here's some repetition. And this is a good thing. Scripture is repetitive. God knew how much help we were going to need over and over and over. Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. In the end, he is a savior or a judge to every single person to every single person. We will all give an account of what we did with what we were given in our lives. Philippians 2, 10 and 11. Go ahead and keep breezing right along. Philippians 2, 
chapter uh, two, verse 10 and 11. So at that time, at that name, so at the name, I'm sorry, I ripped accidentally my Bible and I had to tape it back. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So all of those scriptures that I gave you, all of those supporting scriptures right there in Philippians, Paul was literally showing that he thought Jesus shared as he talked and urged this message onto the Philippians that Jesus shared the position of Yahweh. Very important. Why did I go so deep into that? Jesus was not just a good man. He wasn't someone who was just a good person. He was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Flipping back to Isaiah, reading that next verse, Isaiah 45, 24. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength to him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. Then to the people that Paul was talking to in Philippians, everybody in the Old Testament, everyone in the New Testament, everybody now, anyone that does not call on the name of Jesus Christ. That's not a popular message. The fact that these words can now be applied to God's messianic agent, Jesus Christ is Lord, shows, write it down, write it down. We're almost done, sort of, we're halfway there. <laughs> Jesus is fully divine. Jesus, all of that. All of that that we just went into, all of those passages, Jesus is fully divine. I want you to write these next few points down. Because as Paul was talking to the Philippians and sharing Christ's example of humility, there's a few really important things. Please write it down. Jesus's exaltation also resu results in the glory of God the Father. We see that Jesus ascended. He's sitting at the right hand of God, right? God gave him the name that is above all names, the name to which every knee will bow. But this results in glory to God the Father. Turn to 1 Corinthians, or you can write it down and I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 23 through 28. First Corinthians 15, 23 through 28. Give me a second to get there myself. But each in his own order, Christ is the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Verse 25, for he must reign until he's put all of his enemies under his feet. He must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed, verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, under Jesus Christ. 
He's put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjected under him. Okay. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subject, subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him so that God may be in all. Number two, God gives Jesus messianic dominion over all creation and everyone will one day rightly praise him as their Lord. So what that is saying is that Christ, God, God put Jesus as the name above all names, but Jesus is going to glorify God in obedience. God gives Jesus messianic dominion over all of creation, and everyone will one day rightly praise him as their Lord. And then number three, when his kingdom reaches its fullness, Jesus doesn't keep the glory for himself. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is saying. He doesn't keep the glory for himself. Instead, the son himself will also be subject, subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be in all. What does that say? That says that that literally from beginning to end to the very to 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 the very end that Christ is obedient to God. We ought to model, and that's what Paul was telling the Philippians in chapter two. We ought to model this obedience and this love and this self-denial and this humility daily in our lives. Daily. Even in his exaltation, ladies, even in his exaltation, his name above all names, Jesus remains the model of loving service to God. You could just write it like that. Jesus remains the model of loving service to God. Now, I want you to turn to Philippians 2.12. We're going to go tonight, just so you know, we're going to go all the way through Philippians 218. And then I'm going to just do a quick brief overview of what the last passages mean. So we're not, we're not going verse by verse all the way to the very end. And you'll see why. Philippians 2.12. Lights in the world. Turn to that, please. So the first passages were a call to deny self to deny our flesh nature, to live with fruits of the spirit, to model love and self-humility. The next verses were Paul talking to the Philippians saying, Christ did it. He lived this life. He, he did all of these things for us. He is fully God and fully man. He is of divine nature, not just a good man. He is the only way to heaven. He's telling them all this. And then he comes over here to verse 12 lights in the world 12 through 18 is really a quick overview is a breathtaking portrayal of christ i'm sorry i'm getting tongue tied give me a second it's so much harder to talk this fast and this long than it looks all right with a breath breathtaking portrayal of christ before them paul exhorts the philippians to demonstrate the same faith and obedience in their everyday lives. 
This obedience that even when Christ was exalted above all, he was obedient to the Father. That he was obedient to the Father. Write down obedience and circle it. The word that nobody wants to talk about, obedience. Verses 12 and 13, let's read these two passages. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but so much more in my absence, work out your own, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you read these verses without studying them, you'll see work out your own salvation and your human brain will go to, oh, I have to do something to work out my own salvation. And then you see in the next verse, it says, for God works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure, for his glory and honor, right? The Philippians demonstrated great obedience, ladies, from the very beginning. When Paul was with them, they were demonstrating obedience. But this was countercultural then for them to be obedient to what he was calling them to do in these, these exhortations that he was giving them in scripture, talking to them from prison. Okay, it was very countercultural. But Paul was encouraging them in these first two verses to keep on being obedient. Don't recall your past glories. Don't recall your past obedience. But I was really good then. Any parent here is going to get that. But mom, I did really good last week. Well, you're not doing so good this week. And we're talking about this week, not last week. That's what Paul was saying to the Philippians. Don't recall what you've done in the past. Keep pressing forward in obedience. Keep pressing forward towards a life of humility. And to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Jot down these bullet points. Number one, a few points to write down about these passages. And what does it mean? What does it really mean to work out our salvation? Number one, he was urging them not to be content with their past successes, their past obedience, however you want to write it. But to demonstrate their faith day by day as they nurture their relationship with God. Paul was calling them to nurture their faith day by day, demonstrate their faith, and nurture their relationship with God. Ladies, time, culture, context, we're parking it. That is very much, very much a call for us now. To demonstrate means to show clearly I know what, I know most of you say, oh, I know what demonstrate is, but here's what I found. When you look up a basic word that you know, you always find a deeper, richer meaning. I was the kid that loved to read literally the dictionary for fun, and I'm not kidding. That was me when I was young. Demonstrate, to show clearly and deliberately, to illustrate by example. You are to illustrate by example your faith day to day. You are to nurture your relationship with God. There's a due diligence there. Did you know, ladies, that we can nurture our relationship with God? Or we can starve our relationship with God? And very, very specifically, Paul was calling them to illustrate their faith. 
Don't talk about the faith that you have. Don't speak about the faith that you have. Show the faith that you have. Live the faith that you have. Jesus didn't talk about saving us. Jesus didn't talk about making a way for us. Jesus showed it and demonstrated it on that cross at Calvary. There's an action. There's a demonstration there. Number two, fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. A lot of people read this. Again, this is another thing. When you read, you read it with your 2023 brain and you think fear, frightful, afraid, right? While God's justice, I talked about that earlier, while his justice and his holiness should always be in our view, while his righteousness should always be in our view, Paul was not telling the Philippians to be anxious about not being good enough to merit God's favor. That's not what he was telling the Philippians. Rather, it is God's grace, his favor. That means favor. Grace means favor. Write it. Grace dash favor in parentheses, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. Go look it up. You'll get a whole deeper, richer meaning behind it. Rather, it's God's love and grace, his unmerited favor that's going to see them through. Paul is not suggesting in these verses salvation by works. You must understand there's nothing you can do. See, this is this is when I talked about it being countercultural to the Philippians. This is this is countercultural to us as 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 sinful flesh natured people now who think that that we have all of the answers. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There's no work that you can do. You can't earn your way there. You can't pay your way there. You can't fake your way there. You can't mask your way there. The only way, the only way, the only way is to call on the name of Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and to accept his unmerited, that means like undeserved favor in your life, and to say he is but the only way, the name above all names, Yahweh, Lord. He wasn't saying you do it by works. We're going to talk in chapter three next week all about how Paul rejected salvation by works. The Philippians, as Paul addressed them, can rejoice in God's empowering presence, even as they work hard to live responsible Christian lives. All right. I'm going to break it down quickly. I am doing so good on time. We'll be done by 8.15, but I need you girls to hang with me. We went through Galatians 5, 20 through 22 through 26, and we talked about the fruits of the Spirit. To work out your salvation is to live a responsible Christian life that models and exemplifies the humility that Christ demonstrated for us. It is not perfection. You'll fall and you'll fail and you'll sin because we are in the flesh. But boy, I'll tell you what. When you are walking with Christ and you do fall and you do fail and you do sin, you'll know it and you'll feel it and you will want to immediately repent of it. Repentance is something that people don't like to talk about. 
There is a fruit attached to a life that says they believe in Christ. Say what you want all day. I like to say it like that. Say what you want all day. What are you living? What are you demonstrating? How do you turn when you sin and you fail? I keep it really, 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 really real with my girls here. There are days where I feel like I spent a greater, larger majority piece of the pie, pie, a large piece of that pie was spent in repentance because I failed so much, but I felt it and I knew it and I turned from it. Paul wasn't calling them to work their way to heaven. He was calling them to literally work hard at living a life that points to Christ. And when you fail and you will, you turn back in full on heartfelt, genuine repentance of the heart, not a repentance that you can fake people with because Christ will always see what is in the heart. You can fake people all day long. You can fake, um, you can fake it all day long and fool people. That's the word I'm looking for. You can fool people, but we can never fool Christ. He sees, and Paul was saying to them, that's what I want. That's what I want for you. Why is it important to work out our salvation? Why is it important to work hard at living a life that points to Christ? Why? Number one, if you spend any amount of time in scripture, you're going to get this. Number one, God commands it. God commands it. Because God said so. For any person here, Bring in it's 2023. For any person here who's not had a good upbringing, for any person here who's maybe had parents that have failed in the area of parenting, maybe things were distorted and manipulated and contorted, I'm here to tell you that you are a child of the Most High King, and there's an opportunity to obey and to walk in obedience, and for anything that you weren't given on this earth, I'm speaking it because I've lived it, for anything that you weren't given as, as a child or maybe in that nurturing period of, of, of upbringing that's so vital, for anything you have the ability to live and to learn and to follow and to pursue and to draw upon the living word of God every day, number one, because God commands it. There's no command more repeatedly stated in the scriptures than the command to watch over our heart. Scripture also says the heart is deceptively wicked. The heart is deceptively wicked. To strive to enter the straight and narrow gate and to turn from sin. What God calls sin is sin. No matter how popular our world makes it look, no matter how much they say you're a hater, you're a horrible person, you're this, you're that, you live for one. And when you're living on this earth, I promise you, it is not an if, it is a win. You will come up against a fork in the road where you have to make a decision. And that decision is, who am I going to serve? Choose you this day, it says in scripture in Joshua. Who am I going to serve? Who am I going to serve? Are you serving the world? Are you serving the enemy? Are you serving the king? You will come up against this decision. Now more than ever, you will. Number two, no one can do the work for us. The way that I grew up, I grew up wild and crazy. Wild, crazy, carefree, carefree in the sense that I had no boundaries. 
I lived with anyone and everyone and crazy, crazy, crazy. So much different than people think. One thing that I really learned in my walk with Christ as he drew me near and he pursued me from that wreckage, that, 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 that wreckage that was my childhood was that no one can do the work for me. No one can pursue Jesus for you. No one can pursue him in your life. No one can weep their way, pray their way for you that does that work. This is the sanctifying work that comes from a heart that is sold out, completely, unabashedly sold out for Christ. No one can work out a person's salvation. No one can pursue living this, 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 this Christian life but you. I had to stare down. I'm losing people. I love when I lose people because that's when I know that I'm really, really, really teaching some truth serum because you lose people because they don't want to hear it. The call to work out, and I know I'm okay. I was okay a long time ago looking wild and crazy. Really, I was. The call to work out our own salvation is not to attempt to deserve salvation. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve anything. That's the truth. That is the reality. We are undeserving. But God in his graciousness and love and kindness gave us the choice to call upon him, to turn, and to follow after him, to pursue a life that points to Christ. As we drive this point all the way home, because we're there, we're in the final base, number one, it is very important, write it down, that we make an honest effort to be saved in the way that God is appointed. Not to say, I call on the name of Jesus, done. I'm going to go live like a heathen. I'm going to stand in agreement with sin. But I'm done because I called on the name of Jesus. No, it is. He, he sees your heart. It is a life that pursues him and makes an honest, genuine effort to walk in step with the spirit. Galatians 5. Number two that we repent. That means turn back, repent, to do an about face, to go the other way. You're walking in sin, turn around, go the other way. And we have to do this daily. True repentance is a work in the heart. Boy, I'll tell you what, God won't let you get two steps before you feel that conviction. He won't. And when you try to ignore that conviction, he'll tug at you all day. There's no ignoring it. Is there room? My question, gals, after all of that, my question for you is this. Is there room for repentance in your heart? My question for myself, <laughs> more than, than anybody, is there room for repentance in my heart? And number three, that we believe in Jesus Christ, King of Kings, our Redeemer, and honestly 
put our trust in him. We don't put our trust in the things of this world that are fleeting and wasting away, but that we genuinely, truly put our trust in him. And number four, we are in the world. We're in the world right now. Boy, are we in the world. You look at what's happening all over, all over our country, in our government, all over the world, in Israel. I don't have to tell you what's happening in Israel. God's chosen land and people. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. It requires us to break away from evil, old patterns, and habits of life. Do you think that's comfortable as we conclude? Do you think it's comfortable to break away from old patterns? It's never comfortable. But let me tell you something. You, you have God's word. You have Jesus Christ. You have all you need. Resisting the temptations of the world that only lead away from God. There's nothing in this world of any good. We, as God's people, are here. Listen to me, because the enemy, I genuinely believe the enemy works on women specifically in this one area. And I know this because I get messages, I get emails, I have women asking me their purpose, their purpose. They don't feel like they have a purpose. Purpose, capital P, purpose, purpose, purpose. That's a big thing. Let me tell you your purpose. Let me save you some time. Let me save you some heartache. We are children of the most high king, right? I'm literally wearing the names of Jesus tonight. We are his children. There is no greater purpose for us as believers than to go out into this world and to do what Matthew tells us to do, to shine our lights. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, to share the word of God, to share the gospel, the good news. Paul went on to talk about this, this crooked and perverse generation, those exact words were used in Deuteronomy 32.5 in the Old Testament. He was referring to the wilderness generation, crooked and perverse. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? To be lights in this context that we're in Philippians 2 verse 14, to be lights in the context that Paul was calling them, to do means the duty of being blameless and firmless, to hold fast, to believe God's word and to follow it. And the world will always tempt you and try to pull you away, girls. Can I tell you something right now? 2023, hear me out and we're done. Do you want to know in my own life? I believe in transparency and I believe in keeping it real. Do you know one of the main areas? I gave up television. I, I used to say this proudly till iPhones became a thing. I gave up television as a 24 year old female. I mean, <laughs> female, but female, <laughs> that's the debate of the day, but I am a female. I gave up television as a 24 year old young woman because I was tired of people just putting what they wanted to put in my head. But now 
What does that look like now? That's our cell phones. So many of us say we don't have time for God's word, but we have time to scroll endlessly. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I just ate up hours of my day looking at stories or reels or ridiculous things. These flawless lives that people portray. We are to hold fast to God's word. Limit who and what you're putting in your mind. Write it down. Limit who you're allowing to speak into your life and what you're allowing to be put into your mind. Limit it. Are you watching the media and the news and all of this wreckage more than you're studying God's word and God's truth? You need to be getting equipped for the world that we're living in right now. You don't need to sit there and take all this in. You weren't meant to take all this in. We were meant to take in God's word. The gospel, the good news, the word of life stands in stark contrast with all other human systems of religion because they offer zero ability to save. There's no ability to save. Only Jesus can save us. The duty here is to make the gospel known. Do you want to know what your purpose is? To make the gospel known. It doesn't have to be on a TED Talk. It doesn't have to be to thousands of people. It can be to one person who is crying out. That's why I said, are you willing to have your life and your schedule shook up on account of Christ? Are you willing to allow that? Do you know what? I wasn't going to share this and I am. I'm going to share it and then we're going to end in prayer. Today, I went outside and my neighbor looked so panicked and was waving me over. He's an older gentleman and he's staying with his, his children. And he was waving me over and he speaks Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. I've never in my life wished that I spoke Spanish more than today. I'll probably tear up. And he kept waving me over and he kept talking to me in Spanish and I couldn't understand him. And, and I, I kept saying, no comprende, no comprende. And it was aching my heart because I'm a communicator. I'm a communicator. It killed me. And I knew, I was looking in this guy's eyes. I was like, he's going to tell me he's hurting. And then I went and I said, hold on, hold on. I ran to my house and I got my phone and I got Google Translate. And I kept trying to translate and I was fumbling and failing and it was, I was struggling and I was doing Spanish to English, English to Spanish. Finally, I figured it out and I figured out wife. He was saying wife, wife. And I thought, oh my gosh, I haven't seen his wife. And I wrote, how's your wife? And he, he looked at me and he just broke down and like fell in my arms crying and with Google Translate. Oh gosh, I'm going to start crying. I told you it touched my heart so much because we can get annoyed. We can rush. We can turn away from who God is putting right in front of us. And he was saying to me, he just lost his wife. And I ran next door to their house with Google Translate and I was talking to her. And you know what? In that moment, we had a language barrier. But I was crying. They were crying. And I hugged them. And I just kept hugging them. Why am I telling you guys this? Not to tell you the story. It's not about the story. It's about, are we willing to be shook up? Are we willing to stop what we're doing? Are we willing to look around us? Are we willing to be the salt and light? Are we willing to live with Christ's humility?
it's countercultural. Everything in you wants to be self-focused and selfish. What Paul was telling the Philippians, she can't live like that. Your purpose, sweet ladies who love Christ, as we draw, it's 816. I'm a minute over. That's it. I consider that very much on time. Your purpose is to share the good news, to share the gospel, to share Jesus Christ in a world that is turning from God in droves. For the first time, we are not a Christian nation. We are not. That is your purpose. Take heed to the words in chapter 2 of Philippians. Read all the scriptures I gave you. And be willing to slow down, not to rush, to look around, to take time, to show compassion and love like Jesus would do. I just gave you my little example today. And I'll be honest, that shook me all day. It shook me. It really did. I cried a lot, partly because I went through my own grief. So I know how much it hurts. Are we willing to live? a life that is pleasing to God. And when we don't, when we don't please him, are we willing to be honest about it and to truly repent? Lord, I thank you for what you did tonight. I thank you for this teaching. I thank you, Lord, that really, I thank you for, for the ability that it is so, to be so transparent. And so it feels almost like nakedness sometimes. It's so against our nature. These women understand, Lord, what you did for us through Jesus Christ, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, that he chose to make a way. You chose through Jesus Christ to make a way. He chose to obey. Let us live with that obedience. Let us live with the cross in mind every day. When we fail, and Lord, you know I fail so much. I pray, Lord, that we have the ability to know, know that we failed, slow down, and repent of not pleasing you. Because, Lord, our purpose is to, to glorify you. That's our whole purpose. That is it. Until we get to eternity. I thank you for that. And I thank you that I got to hug my neighbor today where words failed because we couldn't communicate, Lord, you showed up and you were able to, to be in that moment. Let us all slow down and, and do that every day. You are so worthy and so holy and so worthy of all of our praise. In Jesus' beautiful and precious name I pray, amen. All right, gals. Oh, I knew I was gonna start crying when I told y'all that. Um, let me go ahead and stop the... I literally went on, um, if you're tuning in on YouTube or our podcast, thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. <laughs>